belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for August 1st, 2021 is called Shalom. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Pratt Place Barn in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Again, my name is John Ray here at Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. If you are listening on the podcast, we're really glad you're listening with us. In the beginning, two divine beings ruled. Apsu, represented by fresh water, and his wife, Tiamat, represented by salty waters. The two swirled together and the waters became one. And within their waters, demons, monsters, and gods were birthed. Violence, death, and chaos ruled the surging waters as Apsu and Tiamat's progeny warred against each other. Apsu and Tiamat plotted to kill their children so that the place might be restored. But their great-grandson, Ea rose up and killed Apsu. Spitting rage and vengeance, Tiamat created 11 monsters to help her win the battle against her descendants. Tiamat's new lover, the god Kingu, led her army and her progeny were terrified. Then Ea's son, the storm god Marduk, rose up and promised to defeat her on one condition that if he prevailed, he would reign supreme. Well, he won. And as his first act of supremacy, Marduk split Tiamat in two. Her ribs became the dome of the sky and the soil of the earth. Her pierced eyes became the source of the Tigris and Euphrates River, and her tail became the Milky Way. Then Marduk took and slit the throat of the, her lover Kingu and took his blood and mixed it with the earth. And out of that mixture made humans with the sole purpose of serving the gods forever. Not your normal Sunday school lesson, is it? <laughs> So, um, you may not be familiar with this, but this is one of the earliest recorded stories in human history. It's referred to as the Babylonian Genesis. It is called the Enuma Elish. This story, this creation story, was the foundation of all Babylonian culture, of all Babylonian religion. This was their Genesis story, their origin story, and it informed how they lived their lives, how they, how they organized their religion, how they organized their society, how they saw the world, how they, how they interpreted the world. It formed their imagination for the world. Now we just finished the study in Isaiah where we understood that the the people of Israel were carried into captivity into where? Babylon. 
And so the people of God had been immersed into this story. They became very well versed in the gods and the characters of the Enuma Elish. Writing things down was just coming into practice at this time. Recording complex ideas and imagery was something that was happening around this time, six to seven hundred years before the birth of Christ, where it could be shared regularly and in, and in ways carried out to different places. This is when the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, started to write down the stories of their ancestors. They started to write down the stories of Moses and the prophets. They started to write these things down. And the last thing of the Pentateuch, the five earliest books of the Bible that we have, the last one to be recorded was Genesis. Some believe that Genesis is a is a take on this story. Not in the sense that it takes it and forms it into its own, but it's a response to it. That they, they remembered the teachings of their forefathers, the stories that they were told. They had told these stories for centuries, handed them down. The inspired word of God of creation. But when it came to record them down, they recorded very specific things as a way of rebuking this violent imagination. So, consider the story that I just told. Warring gods. Demons. And listen, this is the Sunday school version. The original version of this story is full of unspeakable rape and violence. Degrading acts between the gods and people. The Genesis story. In the beginning, God. There's no war. There's no violence. In the beginning, God says, God sings, God creates. There's peace. There is a garden. It is full of everything that is needed and an abundance of things. Men are not created to serve God. Men are created to be in relationship with God. And I use that term generically, men and women, women and men. Humankind is created to be in relationship with God. Humankind is given a task. They are honored to become co-creators, stewards of the environment. They are created to do good and to bless. It has not incumbent upon them. In the beginning, there were no sacrifices needed. There was no violence. There was no war. There was no competition. There was shalom or peace. Now we talked about this last week that where we start our story determines where we end up. What we determine as the problem also ends up what we determine as the solution. Now if you wanted a really good exegesis on this, the story that I read is recounted in this book, The Very Good Gospel. Uh, Lisa Sharon Harper is an African-American woman theologian. Not a lot of those out there that those of us in the white Protestant evangelical church have read. She is without anybody superior to her. She is incredible. 
incredible theologian. And she enumerates on this. And I'm going to quote from her quite a bit today on her idea of shalom with this. But this idea, we're talking about shalom today or peace. Shalom in the Hebrew, Irene in the Greek, peace in English. Like so many words, when a person says peace, they could mean many different things. Most often what it really means in our context is being left alone to do what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Amen? Right? Peace is I get what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Everything's good. It's peace. That's our cultural meaning of it. That's our practical meaning of it. That is not peace. Peace is not just another way of saying, I get my way. Our peace actually in our society is rooted in many ways in the same violent imagination as the Babylonians. We have a Babylonian concept of the world dressed up with Christianese and consumerism. It's a zero-sum game. There are winners and there are losers. There are the chosen and the damned. It is us versus them. And peace comes when we kick their... Yes. Cussed last week and I'm not going to do it this week. But that's it, right? Like, like that's our idea of peace. It's... It starts with this idea that there's all this conflict, all this violence, limited resources, us versus them. And so peace means we win. Peace means my side wins. Like I said, we dress that up with consumerism and this Christianese language that is so incredibly abusive to so many people who have sought the heart of God. I'm here to tell you this morning, this peace, the peace of the kingdom of God, is unlike anything this world has ever or could ever conceive of. The peace of the world isn't true peace. The real peace that is talked about in the word and practiced truly by the community of God is something utterly different, different, something infinitely better. Any understanding of the good news, any understanding of the gospel has to be centered in the promise and practice of shalom in God's kingdom. And reorienting our understanding away from personal salvation towards an expansive restorative vision for all of creation is essential to our understanding and proclamation of the gospel. Fred Banson, who is a theologian and a gardener, says this. He says, Shalom isn't just the absence of violence. It's a state of well-being, of living in harmony with one's community and with the land. This entails peace with self, peace with God, peace with others, peace for others. Peace with our environment, peace with our past, peace with our future, peace with our now. I want to look at these things really quickly. 
we, we talk a lot about peace with God. This is not going to come as a shock to anybody who grew up in evangelical. We talk a lot about this. Romans 5.1, which we're going to study this fall when we talk about Romans. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access to His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Amen. There is peace with God. There is not subjugation. There is not this idea that God has conquered us and forcing us. God's love is utterly uncoercive. It cannot be forced, manufactured, or manipulated. This sets it apart from every other kind of love with that. And this peace is we are invited into with God. There's no competition. God is not subjugating us. God is not manipulating us. God does not need us to do something for God. God voluntarily gives God's self to us. There is peace with God. There's also the peace with self that comes from this. That we in Christ Jesus, as it says in Peter, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. That there is nothing that can keep us from the love of God. We are okay. We're not lacking something. God's, the gospel is not a self-improvement or a reformation project. Yes, is there transformation involved? Absolutely. Because this kind of love, this kind of peace transforms us. We literally have to be rewired. The way we think, the way we act, the way we behave, the way we consider things. There is transformation that comes from this, but that is not that is a result of what we're given, right? It's not something we do so that we can be at peace. It is something we do because we're given peace to start with that. So we have peace with that self. Now here's where it starts to get quick sticky. So if I stayed with those two things, if I stop there, I'm probably not going to make anybody really uncomfortable. And that is why most gospel presentations do stop there. Let me sell you a package of peace with God and peace with self. Let me just invite you into this club where it's going to be okay for you and you're okay with God, and you get to go to heaven with your when you die, and you don't have to feel guilty about anything. You don't have to work at anything. You can just live your life like you want it, knowing that God loves you, and everything's cool. I can build a pretty big church that way, y'all. There's a lot of big churches out there built for that. But there is more to shalom than that. Stopping there undercuts the ultimate message of the gospel. Because it's not just about peace with God and it's not just about peace with self, but it is about peace with others as well. Ephesians, the author of Ephesians writes this, 
Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called to uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body, body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Jesus Christ, but now Christ Jesus, who used to be far away, who you used to be far away from, has brought you near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one, who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law and the commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new person out of two, thus making peace. There is no more us versus them. There is no more zero-sum game. Our peace is dependent on their peace. Whoever that person is, or that group is, or that nation is, that you previously thought, well, they just need to get their stuff together. We got ours. I got my peace with self. I got my peace with God. Let them figure it out. No, the gospel does not allow for that. It is all of us. It is all of us. As the song says, none of us are free unless all of us are free. The gospel is the ultimate proclamation that God has broken down the walls of us versus them. Black versus white, rich versus poor, educated versus uneducated. Fill in whatever description you want to use. Those walls have been destroyed. Shalom must include everyone or it is not shalom. And it is not just enough to have peace with other people, but it is peace for other people. It's, it's one thing to say, hey, I don't have anything in my heart against anybody. I want, I want it to be good for everybody. I want everybody to be okay. It's another thing to sacrificially work for that. That's what the gospel invites us into. Is to sacrificially work for the peace of other people. And y'all, we are in a world where there are the majority of the people are not living in peace. Whether that is racial injustice, economic injustice, environmental injustice, people are being oppressed, abused, neglected, marginalized. We have to work for their peace. Whether they believe it or not, whether they believe the gospel or not, whether they, whether they ever hear the gospel or not, whether they come to our church or not, whether they vote the way we vote or not, we have to be working for their peace. It is an essential element of shalom. So shalom brings peace with God, peace with self, peace with others, and peace for others. Now, if you haven't tuned me out yet, you've probably tuned me out here. But it's also peace with our environment, the creative order. Go back to that original story in Genesis. We are called to cultivate the land, to steward it, 
There may be no single place in my life right now where I feel constantly convicted of the way I live, knowing that it is not good for the environment. What I buy, what I eat, what I wear, how I drive, what I do. Y'all, we can't keep going on this course. We can't just keep thinking we're going to consume our way out of the problem. We have to pay attention to this. And I'll tell you, look, when you want to talk about theoretical stuff in theology, man, I'll talk with you all day. I will talk with you all day. I can, I can feel my way around that. I'm familiar with the concepts and the terms. I'm comfortable with some of those things. But when you talk, start talking about really how am I going to how am I going to live in a way that stewards and creates and brings life and flourishing to the planet itself? I need help. I'm not your guy. Okay? That's not my area of expertise. I need to learn from the guys, from, from the women and men who are leading out in this, from the scientists and the environmentalists and the farmers and those who are practicing restorative ranching and husbandry. And, and here's the crazy thing. Within our day and age, within our society, it's available. We can learn this. We can learn to practice a more shalom-filled way of living that actually helps our environment rather than just continues to toxify it and consume it. And so when you get discouraged or, or maybe you watch the news and you read the reports and you see about the wildfires and the climate change and the flooding and the heat domes and the, and the, the bird die-offs and the things like that, just know this. That in somehow, some way, we are given through the good news a way to address that. That the gospel is to include our response to that. And this is where we bring in those scientists and those, those people, practitioners who are doing this, and we learn from them and with them how to do that. So shalom is not just peace with God. It is not just peace with self. It is not just peace with others. It is not just peace for others. But it is also peace for our entire environment. With that. And then finally, what this does is it brings us into peace with the past, peace with our present, and peace for the future. And the way we do that is we respond not with anxiety, but with faith. Are these, are these situations overwhelming? Absolutely. Absolutely. They can seem utterly overwhelming. Any one of these particular things could, sink to, could seek to sink us. But we cannot respond with anxiety. We have to respond by faith. Now listen, when you hear me say this, I'm not talking this is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps psychology, saying that if you have... If you struggle with anxiety and things like that, that, hey, all you need is more faith. I'm not saying that at all. Everybody needs counseling. I go to counseling, okay? Everybody needs counseling. But in this element that we're talking about, what we're looking for, and we're seeing that the ultimate answer to the, our response as Christians who are have our imagination filled 
filled by a Genesis creative account, not a Babylonian Genesis account, that our response is rooted not in anxiety. The world is not ours to save, y'all. We can't do it. It's not ours to save. Because we can quickly go from apathetic to these things to then all of a sudden, all right, I'm going to do it all. Me and my Tesla are going to save the world. Right? Like, it's probably not a great example anymore, but um, we can quickly become so caught up in, hey, the way that I vote and everything that I'm only going to vote for the shade-grown organic candidate, right? Like, I... (laughs) We can, we, can, we can just exchange one anxiety for another really quickly with that. And we have to be aware of that. The lack of anxiety I'm talking about is an anxiety that is rooted in faith, knowing that this is God's deal. This is what God is working for, y'all. You don't know what God is doing? God is working for peace between us, for us to have peace, for us to have peace with each other. For us to have peace for each other and for us to have peace with the environment. That's what God's up to. When we prayed this morning, your will be done. That's what we were praying. God, your will that there would be peace between me and you, that that I would have peace for myself, that I would have peace with others, that I would have peace for others, that I would be at peace with the environment. That's God's will. That's what we're praying will happen. And so we approach these things. Do we do it soberly? Yes. Humbly? Yes. Sacrificially? Yes. But not not out of fear. Not out of anxiety. And certainly not out of taking on the role as being the Savior ourselves. You are not the Savior of the world. Grace Church is not the Savior of the world. We're, We're not. That's God's job. And like Jeff said, the more that we tune our hearts to that, the more that we tune our actions, our imagination, our affections, our allegiances, our associations to that, the more God's will, we get to see it being done. Not that we're we're not creating it. We get to see it being done. We get to participate in that. Again, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, she says, Shalom is the stuff of the kingdom. And I love this. She said, she said, shalom is what the kingdom smells like. I just find that outstanding. It's what the kingdom of God looks, she goes on to say, it's what the kingdom of God looks like in context. It's what citizenship in the kingdom of God requires and what the kingdom of God promises to those who choose God and God's way of peace. Now, this is particularly powerful coming from this author. She is the descendants of both Native Americans who were destroyed and ravaged by genocide and the descendant of African slaves who were brought over. And in her book, she recounts, and, and I want to encourage you to go out. It's, it's actually on the learning guide. There's a, there's a link with an interview with her where she talks about her understanding of the good news as, hey, just pray this prayer. And when you die, you won't go to you'll you'll go to heaven. You won't go to hell. 
she thought, if I preached that sermon to my grandmother, who was a slave in the South picking cotton, would that have been good news to her? And it led her on this journey of going back and looking at the Word. She's an incredible biblical scholar. She, she digs deep into the Hebrew with this. And she came away with this, seeing the Gospel has to be more than that. It has to be more than that. And she writes about how she came to understand the Gospel is something that would, would truly have been good news for her grandmother as it is for her now. And that's what we've said. It, the Gospel has to be good news for everybody or it's not the good news with that. Walter Brueggemann says this about it. He says, the vision of wholeness, which is the supreme will of the biblical God, is an outgrowth of the covenant of shalom. Flourishing is an outgrowth of this. This covenant of shalom in which persons are bound not only to God, but to one another. In caring, sharing, rejoicing community with none of them made afraid. Wow! Look, we, we're talking in these, these few weeks about what we want to be at Grace Church aspirationally. We don't get it. We're not doing it perfect. We're still figuring out how to, how to be the church in this pandemic-informed, post-Christendom world. But if anything, a community of people who are caring and sharing for one another in a place where no one is made afraid. Wow. Now that starts to smell like shalom. Nobody's manipulated. Nobody's shamed. Nobody's guilted. Nobody's abused. Now again, we're people. We're going to mess this up, y'all. I'm going to mess this up. I messed this up. But this is the vision that we are moving towards as Grace Church. This is where we're headed. This is who we want to be. Y'all, this church, the church, Grace Church, is called to be an example, a model of what God's shalom, God's peace is to look like in real time. Peace with self, peace with God. Peace with others, peace for others. Peace with our environment, peace with the past. Peace now, peace for the future. But this takes committed, continual practice. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.